The scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus got into the boat. His disciples followed him. A gale arose on the lake, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. They were amazed, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. I want to extend greetings to each of you on this 4th of July weekend, a special weekend where as a grateful nation, we remember the freedoms and the privileges that we have like gathering for public worship. If you're new to our congregation, whether you're new online or this is your first Sunday in this space, I want to extend welcome to you and let you know that I'm also new. And so let's make sure that we connect and we introduce ourselves to each other and exchange notes, whether today or over the coming weeks. As many of you may know, our Sunday's sermon series, summer sermon series is focused on the 11 questions Jesus asked, and I said 11 questions, and someone said, are those the only questions he asked? And I said, no, actually, he asked over 300 plus questions. We're only picking out 11 from that vast amount of questions that he asked. And we're making this massive bet that if we would engage with the questions that Jesus asked, that those questions have the potential to really shift the orientation of our lives. And really, that's the goal for this series that we're engaged in. Last week, we looked at the first question, who do you say that I am? And I would offer to you, if you've read the book of Matthew, that that question seems to be the undercurrent that runs through the entire book of Matthew. And before we come to the communion table, I'd like to invite you to consider with me this next question. Why are you afraid? Or to put it in more common terms, why are you anxious? Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Loving God, we, your children are gathered here. You remind us, dear God, that we are creatures made of dust. We are flawed. We are perceptive. We are susceptible to all kinds of emotions. Lord, our lives can be easily turned on its head in a moment. You know each of us sitting in the pews and those who are watching. So come to us now, Lord, and strengthen us. And we pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Some of you may already know this, but it's worth repeating that fear is one of seven universal emotions 
experienced by the almost 7.8 billion people who live on this blue planet. Let me remind you of those seven universal emotions, and we've all experienced them. There's anger, contempt, disgust, enjoyment. There is sadness, surprise, and that seventh one is fear. And fear often arises for us when we are experiencing the threat of harm, whether that threat is physical or emotional or psychological or real or imagined. You've read the, the, the sources, you've read it in the newspapers, the, all the, the magazines that are out there, they're telling us that our world is swimming in an ocean of anxiety, that our age has been labeled as an anxious age and that anxiety is taking a toll on our young people, but not just our youth, it's taking a toll on all of us. What can we do to live a life free, from fear and crushing anxiety. Is that even possible? Well, let's, let's think about this. I want you to, if you're able, if you're willing, I invite you to pick up a copy of the Bible that's right in front of you. Pick up a copy of the Bible that's in front of you, and if you would turn with me to that chapter that was read so beautifully. Matthew chapter 8. And I want you to notice, as you're looking for Matthew chapter 8, you should notice that there is a consistent thread that is running through the chapter. Back up a bit, and if you read Matthew 5, chapters 5 through 7, Jesus is presented to us by Matthew as this great teacher, this prophet. People come from all over to listen to his sermons. You get to Matthew chapters 8 through 17, and Jesus now is presented not so much as a great teacher, but as one who has power and authority. And so if you found Matthew chapter 8, I want you just to see these six very powerful examples of Jesus demonstrating power and authority. For example, verses 1 through 4 Notice that Jesus exercises authority over leprosy. If you're looking at Matthew 8, look at verses 5 through 13. Jesus exercises power and authority over paralysis. Similarly, in verses 14 through 17, people come to him with all kinds of sicknesses and diseases, and Jesus heals them. And then in verses 18 through 22, Jesus demonstrates that he is king, and he calls those who would be his disciples, if you would be my disciple, I want you to obey me. I want you to pick up your cross and follow me. And then the verses that were just read, verses 23 through 27, Jesus exhibits power and authority over the chaos of nature. And then at the very end of chapter 8, you'll notice in 28 through 34, Jesus exhibits power and authority over the demonic realm. And for our purposes this morning, we're going to spend a moment just looking at Jesus' power and authority over the chaos of nature. 
We're told that Jesus intends to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, it's called a sea, but it's really a lake, as you know. It's 13 miles long. It's 8 miles wide. It's a rather, rather sizable body of water. He goes into the boat, and we heard in the reading that his disciples follow him. And that's a very important thing to note. The verb to follow is the verb akolutheo. This is a word that's used to describe what disciples do. Disciples follow. Disciples go after. They pursue. They obey their king and their master. And that's what the disciples did. Jesus goes into the boat knowing what is going to happen next. The disciples follow him into the boat and they are clueless as to what's ahead. But once in the boat, Jesus is weary from the grueling place of his ministry and he lies down on a cushion and immediately falls asleep. Now, I'm accused of that all the time. The minute a movie turns on, some people in my life tell me I immediately fall asleep. The Lord sleeps, brothers and sisters. Can I say that again? No, I don't want you to sleep this morning. But the Lord sleeps. And for us who live very busy, hectic lives, thinking we don't want to miss anything, it's okay to fall asleep. He's Lord. He's not anxious. He's in control. But the thing to note here is that Jesus, who has all power and authority, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is also human. And he's tired. While he's sleeping, you'll notice in verse 24, if you look at verse 24, we're told that a violent storm erupts on the sea. Now, Luke tells the same story, Mark tells the same story, but Matthew is the only one who uses an interesting word to describe this storm. He uses the Greek word seismos from which we get the word seismology or seismic. Literally, it refers to a shaking, that this wasn't an ordinary storm. This was a storm that was packed with, with the power of an earthquake. And this, this, this shaking was so, so intense that the waves were, were flooding over the boat and naturally the disciples thought that they were at death's door. When you're in a crisis, this is not the time to get verbose. You'll notice in the reading that they, they compressed their need into three very, very evocative words. They said, Lord, save us. And they mentioned the fact that they're dying. Lord, save dying. But I give them credit because these disciples got it right. Frightened though they were, they called him Lord. They didn't cry, teacher. They didn't cry, rabbi, or role model. That's what people say, I refer to Jesus. They didn't cry, enlightened one, save us. In that moment, they cried, Lord. And what's Jesus' response? Look at verse 26. Why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? It's important that we get the tone right. He's not angry with them. 
He's not chastising them. He's not verbally whipping them. Jesus ever the teacher. Jesus ever the disciple maker is challenging them. Oh, you have little faith. Dr. Dale Bruner, wonderful, wonderful New Testament scholar, wrote a commentary on the book of Matthew that I find great joy to read. I, I have never read through a commentary. This is one that I'm reading through. It's just so well done. He translates this verse and he says, why are you such cowards, little faiths? And the word there is oligarch oligopistos, small faith. He's not angry with them. He's using this moment as a teaching moment to increase their faith. Now, let's be clear what we mean by faith because faith is not this sort of passive acceptance, something that dogmas. Faith is something that's living. It's something that we need each and every day. Faith is courageous confidence that Jesus is able to do more than we could ever ask or think. And not every one of us has that kind of faith. But I'm here to tell you that if you follow Jesus into the boats of this life, your faith will be stretched and your faith will grow. And as you read the Gospels, you'll notice time and time again that the absence of faith always becomes the breeding ground for fear. Jesus, yes. And so, you know, Jesus, people say, well, why didn't Jesus just stop the storm? He had the power. Why didn't he prevent the storm? Well, he didn't. He didn't. And all I can surmise in reading these passages is that Jesus is the supreme disciple maker he is taking them from one place of experience to another place of experience. He's taking them from one level of faith to another level of faith. Go easy on them. Disciples are flesh and bone. Discipleship is a lifelong journey. It's a process. It takes time. It takes time for what we know to percolate into our lives and influence how we act and react and not be triggered by life events. It takes time. And when we follow Jesus, we will encounter storms. Jesus places us in storms designed to grow our faith, not to destroy our faith. And a long, long time ago, when I was a younger pastor, I heard a wise preacher say these words, and they've stuck with me. He said, life is a series of storms. Everyone is dealing with a storm. We're either heading into a storm. For some of us, right here, right now, we're going through a storm, or we're heading out of a storm, but everyone is dealing with a storm. And the thing about storms is that storms come to eviscerate and to test and to demolish the lie that says, it's a very, very American lie that says we can make it on our own. We don't need God. We don't need anyone. 
my life is hermetically sealed, thank you very much. And then a storm comes and exposes that lie and suddenly we're saying, help, help. All my crutches, all the things that I'm depending on, they're not holding up in the midst of this storm. Jesus challenges their fear and their little faith. I like to think of this as a proving ground. Jesus puts all of us on a proving ground. And we know that's true because as you read through the rest of Matthew, the road ahead doesn't get any easier. It gets exponentially steeper and harder. And we all witnessed what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane that Thursday night when they came for Jesus. The minute they arrested him and they started carting him off, Jesus looked around and couldn't see a disciple. They had all fled. And while Jesus is being judged by the Sanhedrin, outside in Caiaphas' courthouse is Peter. Peter, incognito Peter, but somebody spots him and said, I know you, you're one of them, you're one of those disciples. And Peter the rock crumbles and becomes Peter the sand. He denied him three times. But I'm so glad this morning that even with their little faith, when they cried out to him, Jesus heard them. He got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves. But be careful now, I'm not suggesting that every storm that comes into your life and you stand up and you say, Jesus help me, bingo, the storm goes away. We know that's not true, there are storms that he doesn't still right away. Am I right? I heard a little mm-hmm. <laughs> but I so love what St. Jerome says. Eventually, the storms of this life must recognize and bow to its creator. And what was a great storm is now reduced to a great calm. And notice what the disciples, like fanboys, gushing in verse 27. Who in the world is this man that even the winds and the seas obey him? What kind of man is this? And bingo. I think that's the point. That's why Jesus took them out there so that they would see their understanding of Jesus would be enlarged. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a carpenter. He's more than just a Nazarene. And all the labels that they try to affix to him, Jesus is the son of God who has come to take away the sins of the world and he comes even in his humanity as one with authority. Friends, you come to that understanding. Yes, you can read about it. We can read wonderful books about being in trouble, but when you are in trouble, when you are in the storm, you come out of that storm learning about Jesus. There's, a, there's an old gospel singer that we used to call Andre Crouch who died years ago, but he wrote a song that to this day I love to sing. He said, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God through it all. He says, I've learned to depend upon his word. And then he had the audacity to say, I thank God for the mountains, 
I thank God for the valleys. Who thanks God for valleys? I thank him for the storms he's brought me through. Because if I didn't have a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. And I'm saying to you this morning that if you're going through a storm, yes, it's not pretty, but Jesus has not forgotten you. And some of you right now, you're going through a seismos, and it just doesn't seem to end. It could be a health crisis, loneliness, some kind of abusive relationship, a job disruption, a string of failures, conflict in your home, Maybe your marriage is in trouble. You're in a storm. Years ago, my good friend David Ivaska wrote a helpful little Bible study guide entitled Be Not Afraid. It was published by InterVarsity Press. And if you're facing recurring bouts of fear and anxiety, I commend it to you because it's helped me. David tells of a time when he was overcome with worry and panic and perplexing situations and he cried out to God, just like the disciples, for help. And the Lord reminded him of these words, and I want you to see it on the screen. I want, I want these words to help your storm-tossed lives this morning. But now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. And I love this next line. I've called you by name. You are mine. When, can you put in parentheses, if, not, not if, not if, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I want you to hold on to that word. You're in the storm. You're going through it. You're coming out of it. This is what the Lord says to you. And then the Lord led my dear brother on a journey, and this is the exciting thing. And I've not read the Bible that way. But in his book, he says that the Bible is packed with over three, more than 365 phrases like, fear not, do not be afraid, fret not, let not your hearts be troubled. There's a fear not for every day of your storm-tossed life. God has you. And the reason why that's so important is because what fear ultimately does, it undermines our confidence in the goodness of God and in the promises of God. And so let me remind you of a few of those promises. One you know very well, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 118 says, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. Say to those who are of an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. And then 2 Timothy 2 and 7, or 1 and 7 says, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, 
but of power and love and self-control, and there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Why are you afraid? Why are you anxious? And if we took the time and we had the level of openness and transparency, we would find that we have a lot in common. For some of us, we would say, I'm afraid I will never get well. I'm afraid for what will happen to my children. I'm afraid I may never get married. I'm afraid that I'm stuck with a mountain of death and I'll never get from under them. I'm afraid that my plans are gonna fail. I'm afraid of the future. I'm afraid of what people are thinking and saying about me. I'm afraid of losing my job. I'm afraid of failing and at school. I've heard this over and over as a pastor. I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid, this is a tough one. For some of us, I'm afraid I'm going to outlive my retirement income. How do we deal with these fears? Let me close by offering to you what I call two verticals and one horizontal. The first vertical is right from the text where Jesus challenges them on their faith. So much of the anxiety that we experience in life has to do with the future because we just aren't wired to see the future. It's unknown. And especially when we're going through threatening times, we wonder, well, if this is happening, what's going to happen next? How is this gonna change my life? How can I keep this from happening again? And when it comes to the future, I'm telling you, I'm a storm-tossed soul. I'm not speaking just from my head, I'm speaking from my heart. There are only two ways to approach the future, and there are storms. Approach it with faith or approach it with fear. Psalmist says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? When faith is little, the fear is a monster. When faith is great, yes, there is still fear, but it has no control over you. Second vertical I would offer to you is to remember that the presence of Jesus, Jesus is in the storm with you. I know, I forget that. Think about Jesus, he's not afraid. He's not anxious. They nailed him to the cross, took his body down and put him in the ground. Up from the grave he arose. Think about Jesus is that he walked in your shoes he knows your pain he knows the temptations that all of us go through he's our great high priest he has all power and authority we said it in the Apostles Creed he ascended from the dead he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty the presence of Jesus God is my salvation I love the words of Jesus to his disciples that night before he left them. 
He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The presence of Jesus, the peace of Jesus. And then there's one horizontal, and this is a tough one. We are, many of you born in this country, I've lived in this country long enough, long enough. I've been infected by this American way of life. You don't let people know what's happening in your life. And what I'd love for you to do right here in National Presbyterian Church is to open up to brothers and sisters in this congregation. God has blessed this community, and I haven't been here very long, but I'm meeting these folks. These people have been pushed around. They have been hit left and right by a variety of storms. These are sisters and brothers who, who have faced what you're going through. And the lie that the devil wants us to believe is that, yeah, don't tell anyone because they're going to think you're a failure. They're going to think you're weak. They're going to think you're unsuccessful, that you're needy. And you have this idea in your mind that, well, I'm the only one going through this, so I better not let anyone know, and that's the lie. We're all in this together, and there are people here in this church who would say to you, there is no shame in this game. It's okay, because unmitigated fear is toxic, and you can't fight that battle alone. And so I just love National. I remember when I first came to the church and I looked at the website and I saw all the avenues, the care ministries that are available for those of us who are hurting. And if you're dealing with some challenges, I want you to make use of these resources. I asked Reverend Lisa Larson if she would be willing just to hang out in the chapel at the end of this service to pray with anyone your marriage, your family, whatever is going on, whatever storm is just raging right now, she's there to pray with you. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, she's there to pray with you. And I encourage you to go. And you know where the chapel is. You go out through these doors, you make a right, and the chapel is at the end of the hall. I encourage you to do that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you this morning for the reminder that you are the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. That heaven is your throne and earth is your footstool. That you reign as Lord, that all of heaven bows before you and worship you as King of kings and Lord of lords. A day will come when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess on the earth, under the earth, in all the universe that you are Lord and King and Master. Lord, may you surround us with songs of deliverance. May you uphold us, strengthen our weak knees, lift up our, our heavy hands, O God, and look to you and wait upon you and trust in you that you are able to deliver us. This we pray in Christ's name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen.